It's a privilege to preach God's word today. As Hilary said, I'm going to be leading the foresight in Beckenham starting in October. Amy, my wife, and I are really, really excited about what is to come. We've got a great venue. We've got some great people who have committed to coming with us. And if you're here and you are interested in coming to the foresight in Beckenham but haven't yet registered your interest with me, then please do come to the back where the Beckenham um, banner is at the end. I'll be there with a few people who are coming to the Beckenham site. I'd love to chat to you and tell you a bit more about that. But one thing that we can all do, regardless of whether you're staying here or coming, is to pray. So please do continue to pray for us as we uh, look for the right people to come. Please pray for me and Amy as we look to sell our flat in Lewisham and move into the area. And also pray that we can have a continued impact for Jesus in the community. That's what we're all about, isn't it? So please do pray for us. My sermon today is about serving because today is our Love Serving Sunday. I don't know what goes through your mind when you hear that. Some of you are new, maybe you're here for the first time or you've been visiting us for a few weeks and Love Serving Sunday means absolutely nothing to you. Well, can I speak to you for a moment and say that if you don't call Kings your home church, then rest assured you're not expected to serve, but you can serve if you'd like to. But I'm hoping that this message today will help you to understand why we serve and what serving is all about. On the other hand, a number of you do call Kings your home church. And some of you are probably thinking, oh no, oh no. This is where they make us feel really guilty for not serving, and they make us sign up to a rota. And yet others of you are probably thinking, I serve already, I know the importance of serving, I'm on a team, I do all this, I do all that, maybe I can catch up on some sleep during the sermon. Can I encourage you to put aside any preconceptions that you might have before we go into this sermon? Because I really believe and trust that God has something fresh to teach us all this morning. As I begin, though, I want to give you three very quick reasons why we do love serving. Firstly, we really believe that serving is at the heart of the Christian faith. We love people because God loved us first. We serve people because God first served us. And we know that the two greatest commandments in the Bible is to love God with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength and love others as ourselves. So firstly, we really believe that serving is at the heart of what it means to be a Christian and it's helpful to be reminded of that every now and again. Secondly, for practical reasons. One of the images in the New Testament of the church is that of a body. And just like a human body, in order for it to be healthy, every single part of the body needs to function and play its part. And so just like the church, every single person in the body, in the church, needs to play their part in order for it to be healthy and for it to grow. If one area of the body is weak, we want to try and do as much as we can to support that area of the body. If you call Kings your home church, then we expect you to serve and play your part, play your role amongst us. And at the end of the sermon today, there's going to be an opportunity for every single one of us to respond and to sign up to serve in one of four key areas, which we'll explain at the end of the meeting. We highlight these four areas, they're on the screen at the moment, because they're areas of particular vulnerability that we want to try and encourage people to be team members in. Thirdly, very quick reason why we do this is because this church has a desire, has a vision to reach and serve many people for the Lord Jesus Christ. And if we're to do that effectively, we need every single person to play their role so that we can impact this community and beyond for the gospel. Those are three very quick reasons. We're now going to go to the Bible. Today I am preaching from the book of Haggai. 
the book of Haggai. And so if you've got a Bible, I'd encourage you to start turning there. If you do not have a Bible, don't worry, the words will come up on the screen. For those of you who are turning to Haggai, let me help you. It's between Zephaniah and Zechariah. And if that does not help you, wait for someone else to find it and then steal their Bible. All right, that's how we do it around here. To, to, give you though, the, to give people time to find it in their Bibles, let me help you with a bit of the context. The city of Jerusalem is in ruins. It's not in a good place. The people of God, the Israelites, have sinned and rebelled against God. And as an act of judgment against the Israelites, King Solomon's glorious temple has been destroyed by the Babylonians. The city literally lies in ruins, and the Israelites have been scattered across the Babylonian empire. They're in exile, many miles away from home. They're discouraged, downbeat, dejected. Whilst different for several reasons, a modern-day equivalent might be the civil war in Syria. Since the war began in 2011, hundreds of thousands of people have been killed, and millions have fled the country as refugees or have been scattered across the world. Millions of Syrians are far away from home, discouraged and longing to go back to the way things were before the war. In the meantime, Syria has been reduced to rubble. I'm sure you've seen it on the news, as we've seen homes, schools, hospitals and historic landmarks totally destroyed. Imagine Jerusalem after being destroyed by the Babylonians like a modern-day Syria. For the Israelites, 50 years later, Cyrus the Great becomes king of Persia, and the Persians topple the Babylonians as the new world superpower. Ezra chapter 1 describes how God stirred the heart of Cyrus to allow the Israelites who had been exiled to go back to Jerusalem and rebuild the temple. He even provided resources and the materials. But there was a mixture of responses amongst the Israelites. Some, knowing that the cost was too high, decided to stay in exile, scattered all over the place. But some decided to return. They saw the vision of what the temple could be. They saw what the temple represented, the manifest presence of God on earth. They caught the vision, and so they traveled, no matter what the cost, back to Jerusalem to rebuild the temple. They saw what the piles of rubbish could be. And so under the leadership of a guy called Zerubbabel and the high priest Joshua, who will come across in Haggai, waves of Israelites returned to Jerusalem to begin a building project like no other. They returned with such enthusiasm and excitement, but the thing was, shortly after they had returned to start building, they stopped. Problems started to emerge. As they laid the foundations, they realized that the temple was nowhere near good enough. It was nowhere near as good as Solomon's glorious temple. Ezra chapter 3 talks about how some of the older Israelites, those who had seen Solomon's temple, literally wept. They wept as they saw what they were building, whilst the younger ones who hadn't seen it shouted for joy. We've little idea what happened next, but we do know that the work stopped. Those once zealous Israelites got dejected, discouraged, disappointed, and stopped building for some 18 years. 18 years. That's the context. We're going to dive right into Haggai, chapter 1, verse 1. I'm going to read quite quickly. I'm going to skip some verses. We're going to cover chapter 1 and a little bit of chapter 2. Here we go. Stay with me. In the second year of King Darius, on the first day of the sixth month, the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai to Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, 
son of Jehozadak, the high priest. This is what the Lord Almighty says. These people say the time has not yet come to rebuild the Lord's house. Then the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai. Is it a time for you yourselves to be living in your paneled houses while this house remains a ruin? Now this is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. You have planted much but harvested little. You eat but never have enough. You drink but never have your fill. You put on clothes but are not warm. You earn wages only to put them in a purse with holes in it. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. Go up to the mountains and bring down timber and build my house so that I might take pleasure in it and be honored, says the Lord. You expected much, but see, it turned out to be little. What you brought home, I blew away. Why? declares the Lord Almighty. Because of my house, which remains a ruin, while each of you are busy with your own house. Skipping to verse 13. Then Haggai, the Lord's messenger, gave this message of the Lord to the people. I am with you, declares the Lord. So the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, son of Shiltiel, governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and the spirit of the whole remnant of the people. They came and began to work on the house of the Lord Almighty, their God. Skipping to verse uh, 3 in chapter 2. The word of the Lord came to Haggai. Ask them, who of you is left who saw this house in its former glory? How does it look to you now? Does it not seem to you like nothing? But now be strong, Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Be strong, Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Be strong, all you people of the land, and work. For I am with you, declares the Lord Almighty. This is what I covenanted with you when you came out of Egypt, and my spirit remains among you. Do not fear. This is what the Lord Almighty says. In a little while, I'll once more shake the heavens and the earth, and the sea and dry land. I will shake all nations, and what is desired by all nations will come, and I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord Almighty. The silver is mine, the gold is mine, the glory of this present house will be greater than the glory of the former house. And this place I'll grant peace, declares the Lord Almighty. This is the word of the Lord. Long passage, but here we go. From a surface level, it would be easy for me to stand up here and say, like many have when preaching this book, that the take-home message of Haggai is serving the church, building the house of God is really important. But you lot are far too busy looking after your own panelled houses, eating and drinking, spending loads of money on other things and living selfish lives. What you need to do is get your act together, get your priorities straight, serve the church, buckle up and get on with it. It would be easy for me to say that, right? But let me say straight away, that is not, not the message of Haggai. It's not the message we want to proclaim from the platform, nor is it a message I want to preach today. In order to understand that, you need to understand the historical context as well as how this book fits in with the whole Bible. I hope to help you with that a little bit today, a little bit. But before I do, I just want to pause for a moment. And I just want to say a big thank you to everyone who serves at King's. You are the people who are captivated by the vision. You are excited about what this church will be in the future. You're excited about how we can play our part in impacting the community and the nations. I know it comes to a personal cost to you as you give your time, energy, and money to serve the church. 
And so I want to say a big thank you on behalf of the Catford team here. Thank you so much for who you are and what you do for us. Can we just give a big round of applause to people that serve, yeah? (laughs) As you can see from chapter one here, the Israelites have very quickly become discouraged and stopped working on the house of God, the temple, and they've prioritized their own houses. Chapter 1, verse 9, my house remains a ruin while each of you is busy with your own house. Instead of working on God's house, the temple, these people went to work on their own houses. Not because they were bad people, but because they got discouraged, disheartened, lost the vision, and stopped. And this can be easy for us to do, right? We can start serving with excitement, enthusiasm, great joy, yet very quickly we can become discouraged and misplace our priorities. But we also live at a very different time to these Israelites. We no longer go to a temple. These Israelites went to a temple to receive forgiveness and reconciliation with God. We don't do that. Why? Because what the temple failed to do was completed in Jesus. In Jesus, we have complete forgiveness, complete healing, complete reconciliation. Not based on what we have done, but based on what Jesus has done. And not only is it for just the Jewish nation just like the temple was, but it's for all nations. Anyone can come to him and have forgiveness and healing. And after Jesus' death and resurrection, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. In other words, Jesus is God's chosen king. He's now sat at the right hand of God, ruling and reigning. Jesus king and his kingdom started whilst he was on earth and continues to grow through his people. These Israelites, they had prioritized their own houses over God's house. For us today, it can be so easy to prioritize our own kingdoms as opposed to Jesus' kingdom. I know at times that that is my failing as well. I know that at times when I want to prioritize my own comfort, my own time, my own money, instead of the priorities of the kingdom. For example, there's times when someone comes up to me and says, there's someone sick, would you go and pray with them? And straight away I think, oh no, that's when the football is on TV. (laughs) I prioritize my own comfort and joy over the priorities of the kingdom. Now I'm not saying we shouldn't have hobbies, I'm not saying we shouldn't watch football, but I'm saying, what is the consistent priority in our lives? Is it our own comfort or is it God's kingdom? I know that living in London is characterized by working long hours, trying to earn as much money as we can, trying to get on the housing ladder and having little time for friends, family and the church. It can be tough for us living in London. And while some of those things can be good things and they can have good motivations, it can be easy for us to misplace our priorities, just like the Israelites. It can be easy for us to focus our time, energy, and money on our own kingdom and neglect Jesus' kingdom. What happens then is we just go through the motions. Our priority is ourselves rather than the characteristics of the kingdom. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, sharing the gospel with others. And we simply turn up to church. We become spectators rather than contributors. We lose vision and excitement. And we focus on the kingdom of ourselves. But the interesting thing here is note that these people gave themselves to things that didn't satisfy. 
They planted much but harvested little, ate but never had enough, drank but were never satisfied, earned money but they didn't have enough. The irony here is that the things that they gave themselves to couldn't satisfy. Isn't that so true of our generation today? So the word of the Lord comes to them. Give careful thought to your ways. Give careful thought to your ways. Haggai calls the people to dream again. Dream again about what the temple could be like. Dream again about how it can be a blessing to the nations. Dream again about what it would look like to have God at the center. Chapter 1 verse 14 says, They came and began work on the house of the Lord Almighty, their God. They turned it around. You know, as I was preparing this message, I felt God would speak to people today. Maybe you've become become discouraged. Maybe you've lost heart. Maybe you've lost vision. And I felt like God would say to us again, it's time to dream. Dream again about what this church could be like. Dream again about the future of this church. Dream again about how you can play your part. Let's take a moment, even now as I'm talking, dream again. What would it look like for God to be at the center of our community? What would it look like for God to be at the center of families? What would it look like for God to be at the very center of your life? Let's dream again today about an exciting future. If chapter 1 of Haggai is all about how the people have disobeyed God, been discouraged, misplaced their priorities and turned back, chapter 2 is about application. Application for us and for them. And this is about what does it look like to prioritize the kingdom of God? Firstly, it looks like serving the kingdom. If you have a look, three times in verse 4 of chapter 2, Haggai says to the leaders and the people, Be strong. Be strong, be strong. And then what does he say? Work. Be strong and work. My sense is that sometimes we can become passive and lazy. I sense that in myself. And we make all sorts of excuses. I don't have time, I'm too busy, someone else will do it. I'm not holy enough to do this in the church. Or perhaps, oh, you know, God hasn't appeared to me in a burning bush. All right, he hasn't spoken to me about doing this, I can't do it. Isn't that excuses that we make? And yet sometimes we need someone to say, be strong and work. Be strong and work. And that doesn't mean in our own efforts. We're strong in the strength that God provides. Even in verse 4 it says, be strong and work, for I am with you. And that's a repeated theme throughout the Bible. We don't do it in our own strength, we can't. We do it in the strength that God provides through the power of his Holy Spirit, and we work. I remember when I was 18 years old, I attended a church in Brighton, very similar to King's, and they asked me to serve in the youth ministry, which took place, get this, on a Saturday afternoon. (laughs) Whose idea was that? A Saturday afternoon! I'm 18 years old, I could be doing anything that I want with my Saturday afternoon. They asked me to serve in the youth ministry. And not only that, they weren't even going to pay me for it. (laughs) Terrible. It came at a cost. It meant giving up my Saturdays. It meant engaging with difficult, challenging young people. A lot of the people we engaged with were from challenging backgrounds. And not only that, but they couldn't actually get to the church building. 
So me and a few other youth leaders had to get in a minibus, drive around several miles, pick up young people, take them to the church, and then drop them back afterwards. Huge cost. But you know what? Over time, many of those young people became Christians. They declared that Jesus is Lord and King of their lives. And you know what? Every year, I still see some of those young people. When we take our young people to a summer camp called New Day, I see some of those young people that I worked with. And it thrills me that they have become Christians and they are now sharing the gospel with other people as youth leaders. And I think back and I think, wow, all those Saturday afternoons, that that was worth it. That was worth it, right? Now, that was great for me, but we won't always see fruit in our ministry. We won't. That wasn't the, the case for the Israelites. They had to work hard. They had hard graft ahead of them and saw little fruit. Not one of these people ever saw Jesus walking along the streets of Jerusalem. And yet they worked. They worked, they worked, they worked. Sometimes it was mundane. Sometimes it was very unspiritual. In fact, the Israelites had to clear rubble. They had to go up to the mountains and get timber. They had to move dirt. They had to paint. They had to do anything that was necessary. And they didn't see much fruit. But you know what kept them going? They realized they were contributing to something far greater. And you know what? As we serve today, we are contributing to something far greater. We are contributing to the kingdom of God expanding and manifesting itself here on earth. You know, when Jesus taught about the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God when he was on earth, he said this in Matthew chapter 13, verse 31. Listen to these words. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and planted in his field. Though it is the smallest of your seeds, yet when it grows, it is the largest of garden plants and becomes a tree, so that the birds of the air can come and perch in its branches. Like a very small mustard seed, the kingdom of God grows through small acts, regardless of how small or mundane we might see them. So, for example, there are people here who serve in our car park team. And you know what? They go outside, they stand for hours in the cold. They welcome you, they show you where to park. And they do that so that you can find somewhere to park, but also so that you can come and hear about the kingdom of God. They're contributing in a small way, perhaps, as it might seem, but they're allowing you to come and hear about the kingdom of God. Or how about the sound team? They get here at 8 o'clock in the morning on a Sunday. 8, 7.30, 7.30, I know, right, so, I know, <laughs> amazing, I mean, some of you don't even know that time existed, right, 7.30, and yet they're here, seemingly, from our eyes, doing a small thing, but they're allowing us to come and sing and hear the word of God with minimal interruptions, amazing, Or take our children and youth workers, taking time out of their week to plan and prepare. Look at the Bible and think about how they can teach the Bible to our children and young people. I'm sure sometimes it can seem like a small task, insignificant, out of sight, that we don't see them in the auditorium. And yet small seeds, small seeds build the kingdom of God into mighty trees. And what a privilege it is for them to see our children and young people grow in faith. I also want you to realize, though, at this point, that serving the kingdom of God does not mean, does not mean just serving at church. Serving and extending the kingdom of God can happen when you're a parent teaching the Bible to your kids at home. 
Serving the kingdom of God can be when you're a boss at work and you're administering justice and treating your employees with respect. Or perhaps you're a worker and you're working really hard because you're serving the Lord and you're doing that not just when your boss is watching. Or maybe you're so kind that you want to invite your neighbours round for a dinner and you want to look for opportunities to share the gospel with them. You are serving the kingdom of God as you do that. It's all of life. And a small seed grows into a mighty tree. But you might say, what is the motivation? What is the motivation for being strong and working? What is the motivation? Well, the motivation given in Haggai is look forward to the coming kingdom. That's their motivation. Chapter 2, verse 7 says, I will shake all nations... And the desired of all nations will come and will fill this house with glory. Many commentators say that the desired of all nations is a reference to Jesus himself. For the Israelites, a strong motivation for them to be strong and work was the fact that they were going to see Jesus coming. Or they weren't going to see Jesus coming, but in the future, Jesus was going to come and fill this house with glory. They knew that Jesus, the desired of all nations, the one who satisfies every desire, was coming into the world. The reference to shake all nations was the the image of the impact Jesus was going to have on the world. What a strong motivation. You see, for us today, we stand on the other side of history. Jesus has already come. But our motivation is knowing that Jesus is going to come again. He's the king who's on a throne who is coming back. And that is our motivation. We live with the promise that he's going to return and create a new kingdom. And we live now as citizens of that kingdom. That is why Haggai's words, give careful thought to your ways, is so important for us today. Jesus is king. And if you are saying that you're part of his kingdom, then surely it follows that we prioritize the kingdom and we serve the kingdom. Many of you will know the, uh, the great legend of Robin Hood. I used to love uh, Robin Hood growing up. I used to read about it quite a bit. He is the one who stole from the rich and gave to the poor, lived in Sherwood Forest, and annoyed the Sheriff of Nottingham. Is that ringing a bell, yeah? The context of this story is very significant. It's set in 12th century England, when England's rightful king, King Richard, had left the country to go to war. In his absence, his brother, Prince John, set himself up as king of England. The thing with John, though, was that he imposed heavy taxes, oppressed the poor. And Robin Hood, he led like a revolution, a movement against the rule of John and kept alive the hope that one day King Richard was going to come back and take the throne. The announcement, though, came that King Richard was coming back. He was on his way home. And so Robin Hood and his men started to share the good news. It's true. Richard is coming home. They kept the dream alive. For a while, they had to live in uncertainty and oppression. But the news was out. They couldn't keep quiet. They couldn't hold it in. Richard, he's coming back. No more oppression. No more Prince John. He's coming back. And so they encouraged the people to live with anticipation of his return. Now, this may surprise you. And I'm not saying that we should steal from the rich and give to the poor. But this is a good image of what the church is like today. You see, Robin Hood and his followers, they knew who the true king of England was. 
And they were committed to following his rule and his reign, even though Prince John set himself up as king. For us today, we know who the true king of the universe is. Do we not? We know who the true king of Israel is. And even though we only see glimpses of the kingdom, we know that it's coming in full in the future. Things will one day be different. King Jesus is on a throne. He'll come back one day. And today, we live transformed lives, radical lives, as citizens of the kingdom, because we know that he is coming back. As King Jesus, he calls us who believe in him to live a new way of life, to live as people in this kingdom. And that means today, as true followers of the king, we follow his rule and reign. We seek justice and righteousness. We speak up for injustice. We serve the poor and the marginalized. In other words, we serve and we share the gospel to anyone because we want them to know who the true king is. Isn't that true? As I conclude, Haggai's message is simply this to us. Give careful thought to your ways. Prioritize the kingdom. Serve the kingdom. Look forward to the coming kingdom. I know that many of you have passions, dreams, and desires that God has put in you. As I said earlier, it's time to dream again. Have you lost heart? Have you become discouraged? Let's dream again. If God has put something in you, be strong and work. Go in the strength that God provides. For others of you, perhaps you don't know where to begin. You don't know where to start. And can I suggest to you that King's Church London is committed to building God's kingdom here on earth. And so why not start here? Why not build the kingdom of God with us? If you're coming to the Beckenham site, I'm thrilled. But it does mean that we're going to ask you to serve. Our expectation will be that everyone who comes will serve. Because that's what we're about. If you stay at Catford, the expectation is, if you call King's home, that you'd serve. Why don't you build with us? Do not be a spectator, be a contributor. If you have passion to see children and young people come to know God, why don't you serve in our children's and youth work? If you've got a passion to see people welcomed into the church, connected, feel at home, why don't you join the hospitality team? We'd love to have you. You see, there are many worthy causes out there that will demand your time, your energy, your money, But Ephesians 5 tells us that Jesus loved the church and gave himself up for her. And that he's going to come back for his glorious bride, for all those who trust in him. Know that the kingdom of God expands through his people, the church. So will you give yourselves wholeheartedly to building the kingdom of God with us here? I can't promise you fame and fortune like the world does. In fact, I can promise you very little. But I can promise you that what you give yourself to in the kingdom will satisfy you like nothing else can. I can promise you that it will be blood, sweat, toil and tears. It's going to be hard graft. And I can promise you that small seeds, small acts, change the world. Give careful thought to your ways. I'm going to ask the band to come up. And we're going to pray. 
So if I can ask you to close your eyes, take a moment to think and reflect, and I'm going to pray for us. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your gospel. Thank you for the grace that comes through Jesus. Thank you that Jesus is your chosen king. He is ruling and reigning. Thank you for all of us who put our trust in him, that we're part of his kingdom and we're called to live a new way, a new way of life. And I just pray that you would give us the power of the Holy Spirit to be strong and to work, just like you did with the Israelites. And may we see your glorious kingdom being built here on earth as we anticipate and wait your return and the start of the new creation, the new kingdom that we all get to be a part of. We pray, be with us now. Help us to worship you and help us to give thanks for what you've done. In your glorious name, amen.